what NFC West offensive line should give you pause before pulling the trigger on their players and drafts? Which NFC East running back is coming in as a nice value at the moment? And should one AFC West stud be on the lookout for a volume decrease in 2021? Plus, the football scientist himself, Casey Joyner, takes a break from his duties at The Athletic to discuss Najee Harris, CeeDee Lamb, and more with us tonight. Plus, the defending KFFSC main event champions Brad Petrie and Darren Larson offer some 2021 advice about Deshaun Watson, Giovanni Bernard, and much more. We've got a great show for you. Farrell Elliott is here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship preview episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour starts now. I can't stand the pressure. I've seen greater men than me. Broadcast live and heard around the world, you are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet. Welcome to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by MyFFPC.com, with your hosts, Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. The High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for analysis from the best players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here's Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. At quiethollers.com, greetings and salutations, all you balkaholics and Ferreliacs. Welcome to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by myffpc.com. I am, of course, your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman, my co-host, is the definitive commissioner of fantasy football, Farrell Elliott. And, uh, Farrell, it, it's um, it, one week from today. You know, I had the traditional Wisconsin fish fry tonight, imbibed uh, an old-fashioned, and, and enjoyed my dinner. And it struck me, you know what, in less than a week, I'll be in Kentucky enjoying some, uh, some hot brown and some bourbon. Can't wait, my friend. It's next weekend. You know, and Grant at the bar, he could probably work you up an old-fashioned while you're down here, Balky. I think you're going to be in good shape. And if you can't think of what to drink, hang out with Jason Kahn. He'll help you out. Yeah, you know, he, he's usually my go-to for that. The problem is I can only go to him in the afternoon because if I get him in the morning, it's usually a disaster. Uh, coming up <laughs> on tonight's show, from the thefootballscientist.com, Casey Joyner shares some of the advice that helped mm-hmm. Phil and Jerry Hooten to the 2020 FFPC main event $500,000 grand prize. And then the 2020 KFFSC main event winners, Brad Petrie and Darren Larson, swing on in to break down Raiders running backs, deep sleeper tight ends, and much more. Shout out to the chat room right now. Feel free to post any questions you might have in there. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, the show is at HSFF Hour. I am at Eric Balkman. And, of course, check out the KFFSC at KFFSC.com. Facebook.com slash HSFF Hour is where to reach us. And if you want to chime in, give us a, t- uh, give us a call at 347-426-3682. That's 347-GAME-OBA. You can also email the show at highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com. If you have any questions for us, send them in now. We'll try to get to all the chat room questions, tweets, and emails coming up throughout the show tonight with uh, a trio of guests. I want to thank our audio engineer, my best friend Bryce, and our producer and mutual friend Rob. The FFPC main event live drafts kicked off today. Uh, we're going to have live event or live main event drafts going off every single day now until the start of the season. Remember, if you're already registered, $400 off each additional team gets you another shot at that half-million-dollar grand prize. Speaking of which, we do have another half-million-dollar grand prize in the Football Guys Players Championship. Remember, $100,000 for second. If you're already in that, don't forget you get that $50 discount on a three-pack. So you get three chances to take your shot at a half-million bucks instead of just one. The inaugural best ball tourney sold out, so we launched best ball tourney number two, $50,000 grand prize in that $270,000 prize pool, and just $125 to enter drafts going off every single day in that. Don't forget the final weekend in August. That's coming up next weekend. That is going to be the last weekend we have dynasty slow drafts going off. We'll probably have some live drafts after that. 
the best ball drafts, uh, you know, if you just want to be in a 12 team closed league with my, with uh, the FFPC, go to myffpc.com. Those leagues start off at five bucks. And don't forget, you can still get in on the Kentucky fantasy football state championship main event, the double move division drafts at nine 30 tomorrow night, Farrell. And uh, that I believe is the, if you want to get in this weekend in the KFFSC main event, that's the only draft that's, that's in town and that's tomorrow night. That's right, Balky. Sunday is sold out, but we do have one draft tomorrow night. And there's currently a draft going on as we speak, just like in the FFPC. Drafters are making their best effort and putting their first foot forward to win these big prizes and to compete, and I love every minute of it. Well, I, and, you know, you talk about big prizes, and that's a good segue into our, into our first guest this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, he has nearly two decades of uh, experience with an analytics-focused approach to football and a resume that features a decade and a half at ESPN, as well as a stint with the New York Times' fifth down blog, currently produces his incomparable content on The Athletic, as well as thefootballscientist.com. You follow him on Twitter at Casey Joyner TFS. Please welcome the creator of the pay dirt service that helped Phil and Jerry Hooten win the 2020 FFPC main event, it is Casey Joyner. Casey, thanks so much for hopping aboard tonight, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Great to be here. How did you, um, how did you, so when, did you talk to Phil or Jerry about after they had won the grand prize as, as one of your subscribers to, to find out exactly the impact that you had on them last season? I get an email at the end of the season. They've been a multi-year subscriber to the Patriot service. And I got an email from them both saying, Hey, uh, thanks for helping us. Uh, you know, ah. one of the services helped us get to the championship, and they and they insist they're like, hey, uh, I said, can I tell people about this? They're like, absolutely, tell the world. I'm like, all right, I'll take you up on it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can uh, too. So we'll talk more about the the pay dirt service at thefootballscientist.com. You also, um, it's it's been almost a month now with your new venture with the Athletic. Congratulations on that. I know you're putting out the fantasy football science series on there. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those pieces? that you're compiling for The Athletic right now? Can do. Uh, yeah, as you work with The Athletic, it's, it's, uh, as I wrote in my very first Athletic article, it's kind of like getting the old team back together because so many of the people over there, I used to work with the DSPN for a long time with editors and writers both, so it seemed like a really good fit when we started talking this summer about doing some things. Uh, the Fantasy Football Science article series, it's going to use advanced metrics, uh, of course expecting that from football scientists, advanced metrics, analytics, game taste reviews, statistical trends, a bunch of other elements, anything I can think of to try to help fantasy managers with drafts, waivers, trades, starts, and selections. It's going to be a weekly article series during the season. Probably going to be doing some more content for them. i got a chat coming up next week uh, at, at The Athletic and doing a number of other things as well. So lots of stuff going on there. That's beautiful, Casey. I, I've met one Casey the scientist before in my life. He was a jazz musician down in the French Quarter in New Orleans. You know, and it, I, I think that just like you, he's unusually great at what he does, and congratulations with being back to the athletics. So I want to talk to you about a guy from Louisiana, Clyde Edward Hilaire. Last year, I was right about one thing and wrong about a lot of things. The thing I was wrong about <laughs> is, is I would always mispronounce his name. And not only did I mispronounce it, I would mispronounce it differently each time I did it. But I was right about the fact that he did not belong in, in the first round. And I'm, I'm curious if on your way to this pay dirt that that was a stake that you took loudly uh, before the drafts last year. And then more importantly, what do you think about him this year? Because I thought he had a wonderful rookie, and I'd love to have him on my fantasy team. I was last year. I was worried about the idea whether or not Andy Reid treated like he did Brian Westbrook in his early seasons at Philadelphia, and would say, "Hey, I don't want to use this guy as a bell cow." He didn't quite do that. But I mean, Everett Jolera did get a 15 or more touches in eight of the 13 games he played in last year. But the big reason I'm on the his bandwagon is what the Chiefs did with their O line. I wrote about this for an article for the Athletic, and the things they did. It's 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 there. They've done a ton of changes up there. They've got, in fact, they've added so much talent in their O line. 
They signed Joe Thune, the best guard in free agency. They traded for a two-time Pro Bowl left tackle on Orlando Brown. They drafted Creed Humphrey, the 2020 Big 12 Offensive Lineman of the Year. They drafted Trey Smith. He's a two-time first-team All-SEC lineman. He fell to the sixth round despite allowing only one sack in 2,500 snaps in his last two seasons because he had some medical issues in 2018. I believe it was blood clots. He hasn't had any problems since then, but he fell all the way that far. They signed the Rams' former starting center. They bring back uh, Duvernay Tardif, who's out with a hand injury right now, but he'll be back early in the year. They bring back their 2019 third-round draft pick. It was an offensive lineman. He opted out of the 2020 campaign. I mean, they've got the makings, one of the best offensive lines in football. And I would point out that also during their Super Bowl run, uh, the Super Bowl 54 run, in the last 15 games of that campaign, they tallied 300 or more net passing yards only three times, and they had fewer than 200 net passing yards on four occasions. Andy Reid's not afraid to go with the running game, and I think the average layer is also going to find a way to be healthier or stay more durable this year because a lot of times rookies have trouble doing that when they come in the NFL. Add it all up, and I think he's a very undervalued candidate. I think he belongs probably as a great second-round pick this year. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, sometimes we talk about the Chiefs offense. It's all Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill. And, and it's important to understand that, you know, this is a different year. You know, just because Edwards Hilaire didn't work out for you at the 104 or the 105 or wherever you took him last year doesn't mean he can't work out for you in the late second where he's going right now in the FFPC. So good knowledge there from you, Casey. Now, one of the other um, uh, offenses that I've been excited about this season has been the Los Angeles Rams. Now, if they do have a weakness uh, this year, and certainly, you know, the Cam Akers thing, it, it, it really hurts their running game. You know, Daryl Henderson's good, but not having Akers back there is going to hurt. I worry about the offensive line uh, as well. How does that concern affect the skill position guys, the Higbees, the Woods, the Cups of the world, and throwing Stafford in there as well? How does the offensive line concern affect the way that pe- people are drafting these guys uh, for the Rams this year? If their starters hold up, if their starters hold up, they'll be okay. But that's a big if. They've got a 40-year-old, an age 40 tackle, left tackle, Andrew Whitworth. He's coming back from a combination ACL-MCL injury that cost him seven games last year. So that's going to be tough. One of the guys that's competing for the starting center job, Brian Allen, he injured his knee in the middle of the 2019 season. He's really just coming back to full strength now. Austin Corbett's going to battle Allen for that job, and he's only played one full season in his career. I don't think they've got a lot of depth on that line behind those guys, not a lot of quality depth. And if a couple of them don't pan out and suddenly you've got backups in there, and if they run into another injury after that, if they run into a situation like, let's say, the Eagles did last year, which would be incredible if that would happen. But if they ran into an injury-related situation of that nature or something close to that, I think they're going to have some problems. And I worry most about Stafford because he's been so banged up the last few years. He's had back injuries each of the past two years, had the thumb injury. In fact, he even hit his thumb on one of the defensive players' helmets in training camp, and there was worry, okay, did the injured thumb again, he's fine, but he's had ankle, foot, thumb injuries, had all kinds of problems. So I worry about him getting hit. If he were to get hurt, I would worry a lot about the value of the receivers, their skill players, because I'm big on Robert Woods if Stafford stays healthy. I've got him ranked with number six wide receiver. But I'm not so worried about Henderson because I still think he's only going to get about 200, 225 touches, and he actually ranked better than Akers last year in a metric I have called good blocking yards per attempt, measures how productive a running back is, and you give him quality run blocking. Henderson was slightly better than Akers. They're both pretty elite in that category, but Henderson was slightly better. So if he can stay healthy, and Jeremy Fowler from ESPN is reporting the Rams are actually all in on Henderson. If he does, then he'll be okay, I think, regardless of what happens to the goal line. But I would worry about the rest of their players. You know, you did such a great job, um, Casey, in breaking down that talent that's around all the Kansas City Chiefs and, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Let's stay at the running back position and go to a team that was just a disaster, as you mentioned earlier, in regard to the injuries last year, the Philadelphia Eagles. It was a disaster with the injuries, a disaster with the coaching, everything imploded on itself. And standing in the middle of that was one Miles Sanders who flashed some brilliance almost at least four games right above or right at the 100-yard mark. I remember the Baltimore game where he carried only nine times for 118 yards. I thought that was fantastic. But availability is the best ability, and this guy was bitten by the injury bug too. But when I look at this team, I'm a believer in Miles Sanders. But when I look at this team, I'm having a hard time putting together the talent, and I'm having some questions about whether the coaches are really in sync uh, and and know how to run this team in the NFL uh, for the 2021 season. What what are your concerns on Sanders? And based on where he's going in the draft, I would have to respect that position 
as uh, possibly what you would call a starting running back sleeper. For Sanders, the concerns would be uh, he's just to get durability question marks because he missed four games last year. Um, his per play, his per play prowess, excuse me, also took a hit last year via his 2020 receiving metrics. He only got a 58.3% catch rate and 3.8 yards per target. It's really bad. Uh, Boston Scott's a very talented backup behind him. They also brought in Kenneth Gainwell, so he's got he could have a little competition for the Boston Scott. Has uh, his ability to read defensive fronts on the run when he's attacking a, a defensive wall. Uh, only Derrick Henry and James Robinson, my estimation, were better in that last year. And, again, Scott did it on a much smaller sample size, but he was that good at reading defensive fronts. So there is a concern there. The thing, though, that makes me really uh, more sold on Sanders probably the most is the Eagles' offensive line last year. They were terrible at pass blocking, but they were first in a metric I have called good blocking rate. Measures how productive and off, uh, of, how, how consistent an offensive line is at giving its ball carriers quality run blocking. It's really important because quality run blocking plays are four to five times more productive than when you get bad blocking. And they were that good despite having 14 different offensive, starting, offensive line starting lineups throughout the year. Nice. And that's a record. And to do that well, and they've got a great coach, offensive line coach, and Jeff Stoutland. He's a fantastic line coach. He's also the run game coordinator. That shows you how much they think of him. So I think when the offensive line is doing that well with the talent they bring back and with, uh, with everything else they've got going on, I still have Sanders rated 21 on my running back board. Talking with Casey Joyner from The Athletic. You can check out his work also at thefootballscientist.com where you can sign up for the pay dirt service there as well. You follow him on Twitter at TFS. Deontay Johnson, a Pittsburgh Steeler that's being drafted at the end of the fourth, his real-life teammate Chase Claypool at the end of the fifth, and then the third of the Steelers receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, the end of the sixth. Do any of those ADPs in the FFPC strike you as an easy target or fade for those Steelers receivers right now, Casey? Definitely fading Johnson. People talk about his drops. They're a concern, I mean, but his drops really aren't the big problem. His 5.1 yards per short pass target, that target's thrown 10 or fewer yards downfield per SI Sports Information Solutions, it was by far the lowest among wide receivers of 75 or more short pass targets. And in the next worst in that category was 5.9 yards. He's nearly a, a yard lower in short pass production per target than the next worst receiver last year. And I think the Steelers... When the owner of the club goes and tells the general manager and the head coach, we need to power run the ball more, because the Steelers get into this every few years. They have this, this thing where they go, hey, we're going to go ahead and throw the football a lot. And it goes against everything their organization does, because everything about their organization, from their, the, the coaches they hire to the way they do scouting, the types of players they're looking for, it all revolves around power football, and it has since the Chuck Knoll days. And when they go to these passing fests for a year or so, they'll do it, and then they'll realize it's a mistake, and they'll go back. I think that's where they're exactly at right now. So I I think they're going to lose, relative to a 16-game schedule, 50 to 75 passes short off of their whole off of their entire passing thing. I think they're going to hand the ball off that much more. It's part of the reason they got Najee Harris. And I think that of the players that's going to impact, I think it's going to impact a lot of dink and dunk throws, and I think that Johnson's going to be the one who's going to lose the most. I could see him losing 20 or 30 targets, again, relative to 2016-16-game uh, or 2020-16-game 20, schedule. He's going to lose enough targets to where I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be going a lot lower than uh, – he's going to be not be anywhere near as productive as his ADP. Let's stay with Pittsburgh. You talked a little bit about it, Najee Harris. Here's a player in FFPC drafts going in the middle of the second round. To me, if you were going to hype up a rookie running back, this is a guy that you would elevate. I can see the reason that uh, he was drafted there, as you say. The new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, is going to run things through him. Um, Should he be going higher? And, And better yet, what's the likelihood, let's assume that he stays at this middle to late of the second round, what's the likelihood that he outperforms that draft slot uh, during the season? I think it's a strong likelihood. Pittsburgh was 28th in that good blocking rate metric. I mean, that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're 28th. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just not who they are. They're a power-running team. They got rid of Pouncey. Pouncey was very bad last year. DeCastro was bad. He was injured, but still he didn't play well. So they replaced two of their weaknesses in the offensive line. So those are guys that they're, they're and, and it won't take that much. It really only, it's only going to take a couple of extra good blocks during the, the camp every, every game. They get two extra good block. Good, they turn two bad blocking plays into two good blocking plays. They'll be fine as far as the good blocking rate goes. They'll be middle of the league, and you can, you, know, you can establish a ground game with that. The thing about Harris He's slated to be a bell cow. Pittsburgh wanted James Conner to be a bell cow. He couldn't do it. So they, you know, Harris will be able to do that. His history at Alabama suggests that. But I also would point out, 
In his junior year with Alabama, Harris caught seven touchdown passes. It's the most ever by an Alabama running back, and it's tied for ninth most to any position in Alabama history for a single season. So the guy can catch the football, too. may not be his primary thing, but Pittsburgh's going to integrate him in the passing game. So the idea that he could get 300 scrimmage plays this year I think is uh, a very high likelihood, and if he gets that, he'll definitely outplay that uh, his ADP. Casey Joyner from The Athletic and the TheFootballScientist.com joining the program this evening. Uh, question from the chat room. Our, uh, our resident Ivy League professor, uh, Wasp Guy, wants to know if, if uh, Kenyon Drake is a PPR sleeper this year. And Casey is going right now at the running back 41 at the 10.07. Uh, does that strike you as a place where, where he could be slept upon and uh, be targeted for some pretty good fantasy production in the 10th round? John Gruden, he said it after he won the Super Bowl. He said, uh, what, what's he like to do? Pound the rock. He tried to get the crowd to chant it and such. I mean, he just believes in that kind of uh, that, that kind of what he wants to do. He wants to run that kind of a power-rushing team. And I think they're realizing that Jacobs is a guy who I don't know that he can – I list running backs by either their bell cows, their lead backs, their platoon backs, or their committees, the four, in ways I split up the, uh, the carry volumes. And – I think that they'd like Jacobs to be a bell cow, but they're realizing now he's more slated to be a lead back, which opens opportunities up for Drake, could be the alternate back. And I think that when you put that together with the pass-catching ability, I think, yeah, he probably is underbuyed to that position. Let's uh, talk a little about another um, – uh, uh, beg your pardon. Um, we move off of Najee Harris. Let's talk about uh, a different position in a different conference – and that is C.D. Lamb. He continues to move up FFPC draft boards right now, KC. He's being drafted as the wide receiver 11 going off the board at the fourth pick of the third round. At what point would you start telling people to pump the brakes on, on that draft capital? I'm already pumping the brakes on C.D. Lamb. I wrote about him in an article for The Athletic uh, this past week. And the thing for me is that Mike McCarthy, if you look at his track record in Green Bay, 2009 to 2016, those are his eight best seasons in Green Bay, arguably. The Packers finished higher than 10th in pass attempts only once, and they were 16th or lower in that category five times. And you think about it. They've got Lamb, Cooper, Gallup, Dalton Schultz, who placed tied for fifth in TE receptions last year. They've got Blake Jarwin, and you've got Zeke, who ranks fifth in running back receptions of the past three seasons. So you add the, all that competition together – and say, okay, McCarthy may not be throwing the ball that often, because I think McCarthy realizes you either win this year or you're gone. So he's going to go back to what's brought him success in past years, go to the power running game. I got Zeke. I got Pollard. I can go ahead and lean heavily on the ground game. I still want to go vertical. I'm just not going to be throwing the ball 700 times or 650 in a 17-game season. So I think that's going to leave Lamb with only about 115, 120 targets, maybe 130 to 135 if all goes well. He's got the toughest coverage schedule, according to my matchup points metrics, among Dallas wideouts. So I think he's better suited as a mid-tier fourth or fifth-round wide receiver, too. I don't want to take him in, in, in a third round or such. I want to wait longer than that just because I don't think that he's going to see enough targets in that offense, not relative to his talent, but just because what the team's going to want to do this year. You know, uh, Casey, I'm, I'm holding on to my credit card and the little bit of space that it has left on it. Well, when we get off the show, I can go subscribe to your service here. I think this is going to be great. I want to learn more about your metrics, and I love the way you're presenting it to us now. But if you find a guy that swears off metrics and he says, I'm going to draft my team differently, I'm just going to, let, I'm just going to draft the players that pass the eye test. Well, you can't do any better than that uh, with DK Metcalf. And I – I wondered how, what Metcalf would do in his second year of the league. It was 25 more catches, three more touchdowns, six foot four, 235, runs with great speed. Can this player be overdrafted, and can he increase again? What's the likelihood of he, him moving those numbers even further up the board this year? I would go – Rather than go to advanced metrics, we can just go to some really, I mean, what metrics that every fantasy manager is going to look at. I mean, receptions, yards, and how many touchdowns are you getting me? The first half of the season, Seattle's got this terrible defense, and they decide we're going to go ahead and throw the ball a lot. First half of last year, we're going to throw the ball a ton. And they scored 31 or more points in seven out of eight games, but they allowed 30 or more points and 455 net offensive yards per game. So they're giving up a t- they're getting all these shootouts. 
and they got to the point to where it was costing them. They lost three out of four games because of that. And I think Pete Carroll is a long-time defensive coach. You can just look at his history and go, hey, that's what he does. Defensive running game is, is his, his calling card. And he said, we need to protect this defense. He scales things back. And so I'm going to go ahead with a running approach to the second half of the year. They won six of the seven at one point. So I think Carroll's going to come into this year and say, that's what we're going to do because we need to protect this defense. That affected Metcalf because first half of the year, 43 catches, 788 yards, eight touchdowns. Second half of the year, 40 catches, 515 yards, two touchdowns. I think everybody's expecting the first half to repeat itself and say, okay, that's what he's going to do over the course of a whole year. And I'm saying, well, I'm going to meet those two metrics somewhere in the middle, and I might even lean more towards what he did in the first half of the season because he's just so talented. Like you said, he passes the eye test. But I've got him as a number 11 wide receiver on my board. I've got him as number eight ranking over and upside. I think he's uh, one of the great upside plays in this season. But I just he's it's too risky to take a receiver in a run heavy offense like Seattle's likely to be to make that guy my lead number one if I can help it. And if I can't, and I can wait on him until a little bit later if I in that case. Casey Joyner joining the program from the Athletic tonight. Uh, another question from the chat room. Casey uh, uh, Dot Harris wants to know. He's gone back and forth on Chase Edmonds uh, as far as his ADP goes in FFPC drafts right now. Currently, he's running back 26, currently going at the 604. That's Kareem Hunt, Trey Sermon, Miles Gaskin territory. Uh, your thoughts on, on Edmonds and, and maybe expand upon it, uh, maybe how you think the touches will be divvied up between him and James Conner this year in the desert. I think that James Conner is going to be more of a challenge than uh, is generally expected. James Conner... He ranks tied for 12th in rush touchdowns inside the five yards on last year, and I think that they're going to give him the goal line carries. Uh, I also think that, uh, I mean, Arizona's got some offensive line talent, and I think uh, Connor could play better than what he did in, uh, in Pittsburgh and such. Um, I just think that they're probably going to give him more of the high-volume carries, and the concern for Connor is, again, he only had, he's posted a total of three to two scrimmage plays in his three-year career, and I think that Arizona just realizes we can't lean on this guy too heavily. So they've got two guys. It's going to be a pure platoon situation. Let's talk about the carries for Jordan Max. He's going to be, this is going to be a pure platoon setup, but if we've got a platoon back, and I know that one is likely to be the goal line back, and again, with, with Connor's history of being a good goal line ball carrier, I think they're going to lean on him with that. Then I'm looking at, at, at Edmonds as being a between-the-20s guy. I've got them still rated about even because Edmonds makes up for it in the <clears throat> pass catching, but I think overall people probably don't see them as even or they see they keep thinking that Connor's going to be kind of a disappointment like he was in Pittsburgh, and I think it's going to be a little bit the other way around. Connor's going to be slightly more viable than Edmonds, so I'd rather have Connor in that backfield. Let's get to, uh, to a couple of emails here for you tonight, man. Uh, John in Garden City, New York, emailed in, how much stock are you putting into what we saw on the field from New England's Ramondre Stevenson and Philly's Quez Watkins? Thanks, KC. That is John in Garden City, New York. John, thanks for the email. Um, yeah, I mean, these guys are kind of preseason standouts, or at least they were for, for one week. Um, are you putting much stock into what you saw in the preseason, KC? Never usually put too much stock in the preseason. I put, it's put into if you're going to win a positional battle and things, if, if, if the training camps are playing out in such a way where you see players – getting highlighted or featured in such a way. I'm more concerned about that. I do like the Patriots running game, though, so I like Stevenson from that perspective as what he could do, what he could get up there, because I think they're going to be a very run-heavy team regardless of if it's Newton under center or if Mac Jones eventually takes over. I think Bill Belichick wants to show people. I've won with power football before. They got the Super Bowl in 2018, won that Super Bowl, basically running power football the last half of the season. I think he realizes he can do that. Um, Quez Watkins, uh, I, yeah, but, uh, again, he – how. How much can I rely on him? Because he's not. I want to see receivers who are going to. I'm a percentages guy, a very consistency guy. I want to see people who are going to put up consistent performances, generally speaking. So when I see somebody like Watkins, who I know can tear the top off a of defense, is it going to be another situation like what they saw with Travis Fulgham last year, where he has a couple of good games and then suddenly disappears for, for six, seven games? I'm worried about that. So I might put a late round fire into him, but I'm definitely not thinking he's going to be the guy. Uh, one more email here from uh, Rich in Portland, Oregon. What's up, KC? How good, from a fantasy perspective, do you think Rondale Moore will be in his first year in Arizona? So a Rondale Moore uh, redraft question here. Rich in Portland, thank you for the email, man. KC, what are, what are your thoughts on Moore, what he's going to do as a rookie this year? Um, I like, I mean, I'm, I've liked, 
I like the talent, but I'm always always been a guy who I'm just not too sold on uh, rookie wide receivers, especially. I just tend to be down on receivers or down on uh, rookie players just to begin with. So. I like what he might bring to that team. I, I like the top. I'm looking at him probably as a five or a wide receiver five or six in fantasy. I probably a six just because I think A.J. Green's going to bounce back. I know it sounds crazy, but I think that he's going to be motivated. I think he was so motivated to get out of Cincinnati that he just said, I'm taking time off even if I'm on the field. And I think he's going to be more motivated down there. You've got Hopkins. You've got some other players who are going to get the funnel of the offense. So I just think they're going to find certain types of plays that Moore can run. And that offense, by the way, isn't designed to be funneled through one player. It's designed to say we're going to attack a coverage. So a lot of it's going to depend on, okay, Moore's here. Did the coverage go this way and leave him open? So they're not necessarily – they're going to maybe funnel it through Hopkins and say we're going to necessarily send things through him just because of his talent level. But the rest is going to be where do you stand in relation to what, the, what we're doing to this defense, and do you happen to be the person who's open? So that's another thing that I think they'll find specialty plays to try to get in there. But when it comes to full field reads that they're having Kyler Murray doing, I think that Moore will just again. He'd be fortunate if he gets if he gets a hundred targets this year. I'd be surprised. I love the way that you, you have separated running backs into those those four categories, and and I think you sound to me to be an analyst who can find the good in, in almost every NFL player. So this guy would be a tough question for you, but I want to know the one player that you're just going to avoid, that it doesn't mean anything to you at all, and there's no way you can make him be part of a fantasy football team bill. And then I would like to know a sleeper, a sleeper that, that being a be a rookie, you know, I think Boston Scott. I think you treaded there. The old giant killer. Maybe uh, he's going to run better against the rest of the league and not just the Giants this year. But a, a sleeper that no one's counting on that, that might bust through and, and give that consistency that you just spoke of. Uh, I'll start with the sleeper, Callaway. Marcus Callaway, the wide receiver in New Orleans. There's multiple reports that say he's going to be the one, and Michael Thomas, who knows when he's going to come back. But they're going to, if they finally did the offense through a receiver, Callaway, I mean, if they're, if they're going to make you the one, and even though it's going to be probably a run-based offense, what if Winston wins the job? Okay, well, are there, are there 550, 600 passes to go wrong? Yeah, and I'm looking at that going, okay, well, Callaway could get if you if he's the number one guy and assuming he can hold up and I think he's only caught like 30 passes as his career high in any season for, for catches so you don't know if he can hold up or not but man it might be a first half of the of the season kind of candidate where he's going to be somebody who might be getting seven eight nine targets if things go really well for him so he's a guy that I would love to have as a deep sleeper somebody I won't have on my team again like you said it's I never say never to a player and say, okay, I will just never have that guy on my team. I, will, I just said somebody I absolutely will not pick. But players that I would say I, I'm, I'm very uh, iffy on or somebody that I might say, geez, that's just somebody I probably don't want on my roster, I'm probably going to lean on, on quarterbacks and such, and I just won't pay some of the prices for these uh, these higher-up quarterbacks and things. I'm very much telling people to wait on quarterbacks and such, and I think like you're seeing people – pick a Joe Burrow too high. I see. I think you're seeing people pick, I, like Trey Lance. I think people are picking Trey Lance way too high on teams. Mm-hmm. I think the 49ers are going to say, we don't need to get rely on this guy. I think we've got Garoppolo, and we don't have to make Lance our quarterback. We can sit uh, Lance as a situational player, and we can just go with Garoppolo. And Garoppolo's got injury issues uh, over the years, but if he stays healthy, Lance is going to be somebody who people are taking him as like a QB2. I think he might end up being a, a empty calories to QB2. It gives you next to nothing unless Garoppolo gets hurt. I hate having players like that. I want players who I know are going to get some playing time. So I'm really worried about Lance in that sense. Uh, we are not worried about uh, getting great information from the football scientists. That is something that we got tonight. And you can check out more, not only with the Fantasy Football Science Series on The Athletic right now, but the, um, the, the uh, paydirt subscription at thefootballscientist.com. Casey, for any of our listeners who are looking to sign up for that right now, uh, what's the type of analysis that they're going to get from a fantasy football standpoint? Uh, well, I say if, uh, if you want to win more titles, you can't do so with the same recycled information that every other fantasy manager gets. The Patriot service gives you uh, a champion's advantage. It gives you a, a, information that you're not getting anywhere else. You're not, it's, this is not stuff that everybody's getting recycled. So you can hear from the analysis. This is unique caliber information. I've got an industry-leading draft guide. It's the 18th year I've been doing a draft guide. Insanely detailed start sit charts, exclusive tri-weekly chats. You can get all these and more via the Patriot subscription service at thefootballscientist.com.
Casey, can't thank you enough, man, for coming on tonight. Really appreciate you hopping aboard, dropping some science, as it were, on us. And I uh, wish you nothing but the best of, uh, of, of luck with everything with The Athletic, with thefootballscientist.com. Keep up all the great work, man. We all appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Casey Joyner, ladies and gentlemen, dropping aboard tonight on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, talking a little football science, which we always appreciate here on the show. Remember to follow him on Twitter, at the uh, Casey Joyner uh, TFS, and, of course, thefootballscientist.com. That was a lot of information that we just got from, uh, from the scientist. And, uh, and Farrell, I, I can safely say, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, I'm a bit overwhelmed with, with everything we just heard from him. He's engaged. He has a great way to deliver the information. I, I can suspect that on his uh, paydirt service, that he delivers the information the same way, you know, and he, he can put that into some terms that you can uh, that you can deal with and you can move quickly on in your drafts. And I liked what he had to say. Uh, what he really impressed me was his breakdown of the Kansas City Chiefs roster and what they have coming back. This is a team that was in the Super Bowl last year, and they're going to be a much, much better team. He likes what's coming back at Philadelphia on the offensive line. He did not. He did not go uh, talk very much about the coaching. And, and see, that's something that I see, and I don't know if his metrics allow for that, and that's something I'll be looking for on his site. But, yes, it's very impressive. I liked what he did. And it's natural. You know, the professor, uh, Hudson Kern Reeve, he says one thing, the further you get away from science, the bigger mistake you make. Always trust the science. And, you know, from the chat room, Dodd Harris. There's nobody in fantasy football named Dodd Harris. That man's name is C. Dodd Harris. He needs to tell us exactly, you know, who he is when he comes in and asks a question on this show. Like, he can sneak a question in. C. Dodd Harris is one of the finest fantasy football players. I don't know why he doesn't use his given name, but, you know, he should. It's a brand name. This is all – we can clarify all of this in uh, in Louisville next weekend with uh, with him for sure. Uh, as uh, yes. can't wait to see him catch up with him and, and so many other people, including our next two guests, ladies and gentlemen. They are no strangers to fantasy success. They have been playing fantasy football for thirty years. They are the editor in chief and assistant editor of the Hammer Time Draft Guide. We're going to get into that, and they are the defending champions of the 2020 Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship main event. You know them as Foosball and Rosenhaus Factor, but when they combine their powers, they become Frying Pan Inc. Allow me to introduce Brad Petrie and Darren Larson. Welcome aboard, champs. Thanks for doing the show this week. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. We, uh, we, we, so this is what I'm going to lead off with this right away. Um, uh, and Darren, I'll, I'll throw this question to you. What is the hammer time draft guide? Because this is something that I'm very curious about since you are the editor in chief and uh, Brad is the assistant editor of it. Well, it's uh it's a, it was uh it was a few years in the making. Uh, Brad and I kind of discussed it. Um, on several uh, sites, to much to the chagrin of some of the players that were on there because they swore it wasn't real. And uh, we just kept uh, grinding away and kept working on it. And uh, we, it's come to fruition now. Um, it basically measures um, ADP rankings and uh, combines them. And it gives us a nice mixture of, uh, of uh, areas where we can draft. Um, it's, um, a color coded sheet. Um, you can, it's three columns, so you can use, uh, one of the columns or you can use any of the three columns. Um, so it's, it's, it's got a lot of variety, um, to it. You can make it what you want to make it. Um, so, uh, when you combine that with, um, uh, your, uh, preferred build of your team, um, we think it gives us an edge. It does give them an edge, Balky. Last year I had in my hand for the draft at Planet Hollywood, in my hand was the Hammer Time uh, draft guide uh, provided to me by these two, and it was repossessed when we arrived in Las Vegas to find <laughs> that, that I was uh, competing with Brad Petri in the same division. The, the, 
the the hammer time draft guide disappeared from in front of me. So you know the, they are they are proprietary about the hammer time draft guide. If you can get your hands on one, it'll help you. It's like gold. It is fantasy football gold. Uh, certainly, in fact, I don't know. Maybe there's a partnership, and Casey Joyner has it uh, located somewhere on his uh, on his website too for a, a low low fee. In any event, we know with or without the Hammer Time Draft Guide, you guys crushed uh, the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship main event last year. I do want to talk fantasy with you. Obviously, I know time is short, but can you guys tell us uh, what, what you're doing for a living when you are not creating the Hammer Time Draft Guide and winning main events in, in Kentucky? Brad, I'll let you go first, and then Darren, I want to hear your answer as well. Well, I work for a convenience store chain as an area manager in northern Illinois. Um these t- trying times, it's very stressful with COVID and the um, the employment situation. And I'm sure everybody that goes into almost any serve service industry these days is running into staffing issues. So it's very, it's been a very trying time for me, and uh, it's it's difficult. It's, it's difficult, but uh, that's the industry I'm in, kind of gas and convenience stores. Go ahead, Where'd Darren. you go, Darren? You're working, too. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, my wife and I own a uh, small business, and it is also a gasoline convenience store, um, and uh, we also sell food there. Um, it does a great food business. Um, been doing that since 2005. Before that, Brad and I worked for the same company, so that's how we know each other. And the ah, key is, Bob, northern Illinois. Northern Illinois, these guys are like the Garth and Wayne of the fantasy football business. They have a basement, <laughs> and that's where the hammer time thing is coming from uh, out of Northern Illinois. <laughs> hammer uh, time, Illinois. hammer time. There Excellent. you go. That's exactly yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's exactly and that, what that and is. The, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and these, guys, the, these guys have been hammering it, for lack of a better word, <laughs> in the KFFSC, Balky, as you well know. But what's interesting is in 2019, they were almost wire-to-wire first-place guys throughout the entire regular season. Teams faded in the playoff. I had basically started uh, aligning the trophies for them in 2019. They come back in 2020 taking even a bigger cut of the pie. They played often. They were rewarded often. Not only did their championship team do well, but a number of their teams did. So I'll send this question to Brad. Brad, week 16 last year, Unlike any other fantasy football week you've ever had, tell me what it was like when when you guys knew that you were going to be coasting into that winner's circle ahead of uh, 576 teams. Well, I don't know that we knew we were coasting. We we um, going into Monday night. We we were eight in eighth place, down by about 20 points, and. We had Josh Allen, and I know nobody ahead of us had any players going, so we, we thought we had a shot. I don't know if you recall, but I do vividly, that Dawson Knox dropped about a 40-yard pass in the first quarter, and he also dropped a touchdown in the first quarter. And it was like, to us, it was like deja vu, because the year before, we, as you said, we led wire to wire. We kind of fell apart in the last two weeks. Um we we I don't know exactly where I thought we were on 11th going into that weekend, but you know Kamara had 56, 56 points, and we finished Sunday down by 20 going into Monday night with Josh Allen. And we felt pretty good, but you know we weren't sure. And about a minute or two before halftime, we took a three point lead, and the only person we had to stave off was a guy that had um, Diggs and Allen. We had such a gap that. It, even though he crept up on us, we were able to hold him off. So, you know, it was exciting and you know, nerve-wracking, and um, we've been through it before, and we usually come out on the losing end. <laughs> well, not last year. Congratulations to no, both sir. you guys taking that down. That's, that's awesome. Um, so let's let's talk fantasy here as far as 2021 goes. Um, now, you look at, um, uh, Darren, the, the Chargers offense. Joel Lombardi comes over from New Orleans. Uh, much has been made in the narrative saying that Mike Williams is going to be the Michael Thomas X receiver in Los Angeles this year. I'm kind of wondering how much knowing that has prevented you 
from drafting Keenan Allen. Uh, has that affected it at all? Have you loaded up on Allen? What's sort of been your stance on that big-time pass catcher for Los Angeles? Um, I still like Allen a lot. Um, I have room on my team for either one of those guys. Um, lately, Williams has been falling for me, and I've been snagging him. But I don't, I don't have a problem with going Allen either at all. I, I, I don't think it's either or situation. Uh, I think it's a good situation for Allen if uh, Williams plays that role because it, it will, you know, maybe he'll get a little more, um, maybe he'll see a little more D and uh, it'll open things up for Allen. I don't think <laughs> you can't turn your back on either one of those guys. Uh, so I, I like both of them. Darren, you are uh let's keep it on the West Coast. Uh let, let's talk about another AFC West team. You and you and Brad amongst my all time fantasy player favorites. I want to talk to you about my favorite team. Now we I think you guys were were able to listen to the KC Joiner part of the show. He did a, a very interesting breakdown on what the Raiders expect and what the reality is about Josh Jacobs. And and you know Josh Jacobs is is a player that I think is, is terribly underrated. Uh, right now, he is the poster child for the uh, uh, for the, uh, the ambiguous running back dead zone that uh, everyone seems to believe in. And then, you know, on this team now is the the best free agent running back, Kenyon Drake, in free agency signed very quickly with the Raiders. Jacobs in the fifth round or later, Kenyon Drake in the tenth round. Which one? do you want on your fantasy team? And would you want both of them? Well, um, it depends on my build. Um, but uh, more often than not, I would be leaning towards Drake in the tent. Uh, reason being that I do also uh, subscribe to the Reading Back Dead Zone. I am hammering wide receivers around that uh, area, especially in a league where you have to start three wide receivers. That is the sweet spot for receivers. And, uh, unless you start receiver in the first and second round, I would be hesitant to go to running back that early. Um, Brad, let's let's uh, focus yeah. this to a player that we have not seen in uh, in preseason all, Deshaun Watson. What kind of a fantasy impact, if any, do you think he is going to make in 2021 for those people that draft him? Well, for those people that draft them, I'm one of them. I, I, uh, I kind of shoot from the hip and a little bit of a gambler. So, you know, I've taken him a lot between the 14th and 20th round. Um, heard it maybe a little later now than than earlier, but uh, I think he, if, if he if he's not suspended, obviously, which is a gamble, that you know you're getting the top 10 quarterback in in almost the last couple of rounds. So, um. You know, there's speculation they may trade him, but I don't think there's going to be value there to be traded until they clear up the legal matters. So I, I'm one that likes to gamble. I think he's better than a lot of quarterbacks that's left where I'm taking him. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, we can just with free agency um, waivers the first week. You could, you could actually technically say I'm going to just take one quarterback and, you know, I'm counting him as the, the second one. But uh, if, if something does happen, you have plenty of time to, to counteract that. And you're not, you're not losing a lot of value at 19, 20 rounds. So I think he plays, he'll, he'll have a good, good year. But, I, you know, that's the gamble you have to be willing to take. Brad Petri is shooting from the hill. Who would have known? Here's, you know, Brad, here's, here's a hardworking guy that I've never heard say a discouraging word through the ups and downs of all his time in Cincinnati. Uh, Gio Bernard was the face of the team, good guy in the locker room, good teammate half. He's been successful there for a lot of years. He's caught 350 balls in his career, rushed over a hundred times last year. And now he's rewarded from all that because somehow he's left Cincinnati and ended up in, uh, football heaven in the Tampa Bay Bucks, where the head coach says they're going to use him a lot. Now, I don't see him being drafted very high. I'm trying to get him. Uh, maybe um, maybe you can give us uh, Darren Armani's mojo on it, but I I think that uh, Bernard's a good buy at any double-digit round. Um, are you putting much into Bernard this season? I, I, I like him in about 12th, 13th, 14th. 
sometimes 15th round. I do. I, he was part of that championship team when we lost Gibson. He's uh-huh. the guy that we put back, we put in. So, you know, um, I like him. I like him in that offense. I know there's two other backs that probably get a lot of the carries, but I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for him to catch the ball in the passing game. So I have not stopped liking Gio Bernard. Uh, Giovanni Bernard, per Farrell's request, running back 53 at the 13.05 over the course of the last two days in the Football Guys Players Championship. That ADP brought to you by FantasyMojo.com. Darren Armani does a great job not only with pros versus Joes, but compiling ADP data, waiver wire data, draft boards, everything you'd want at FantasyMojo.com, and certainly a must if you are playing in the FFPC. I like Bernard, too. Um, John Terry in the chat room saying that he likes Bernard and certainly the ringing endorsement from Bruce Arians. Hey, that ain't hurting uh, my, my liking of him right now as well. To get a pass catcher like him with a definitive role in the 13th round, give me that all day. I love it. Um, the Titans uh, went out, and they got – well, they traded for Julio Jones. They signed Josh Reynolds in free agency, and, and uh, to go along with A.J. Brown, obviously. Darren, I know that, that Brown is a beast. He's being drafted very, very high right now. In fact, FFPC drafters are taking A.J. Brown as wide receiver eight right now in the second round. Why should we not forget about Julio Jones or Josh Reynolds this year for the Titans as well? Well, Julio is a monster when he's on the field. Um, and uh, with that narrow passing uh, tree, in uh, Tennessee, uh, it could uh, really pay off. Um, it is a gamble uh, because he is not always on the field. Um, so I, I think he's worth a shot if you're more risk-adverse in the uh, uh, beginning of your draft. There could be you know, a big payoff for him. And uh, I, I think another thing that when you're building with Jones, you probably need to – you probably need to keep your nose to the grindstone on some more uh, wide receivers just in case. So it, does, it might alter your build a little bit because uh, there's not a lot of certainty that he will be in the lineup, but it's a big payoff. As far as Reynolds, I think he has to have an injury, but they're, you know, both Brown and uh, Jones certainly have had their issues, and Reynolds showed that he could step up in with the Rams last year. And in fact, I was hitting Reynolds pretty hard in our early, early, early drafts before Jones went to Tennessee. So I, I do like Josh Reynolds, um, and I really haven't done much with him lately. Um, but if an injury occurred uh, to one of those two, which is which is pretty probable with Jones at some point, I think Reynolds uh, could be valuable. You know, Balky, one of the things I love about the, the way these guys work together, and I, I think everybody's listened to the show, and everybody in Kentucky knows this, but, but the listeners of the show should understand that they don't always draft side-by-side side together at the table. Sometimes they do. They separate. They share knowledge. They're equally successful when they're together and, and when they're separate. And I, I thought that's an interesting, a very, very interesting way to do it. When, and this kind of leads into my next question because I think I kind of know where the answer is going, and I hope it doesn't cause any discourse between this championship duo here. But when, when you're running these events, there's a lot of things that, that go on. You know, I, I, some guy doesn't have Internet connection. Uh, another guy got, uh, uh, you know, they didn't have his hotel room right. He can't check in the hotel room. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they didn't have enough food. Another guy's lost his ID, and he can't get into the casino to get to the room to draft. <laughs> There's all these things going on, and I see this distress. You know, I'm looking out around the room, and I can always tell when somebody's in distress. I've got to go talk to them see what the problem is. You don't have that with Larson and Petra, except once. I looked up, and I said, what in the hell is wrong with Brad? He's got this, he's got this look on his face. I said, something isn't right. I've got to go down there and see. I said, Brad, what, what is the problem? He says, well, why don't you ask Darren what the problem is? So, uh, Darren, with that introduction, I'll ask this question. Who's a better sleeper <laughs> tight end this year, Dan Arnold or one Mo Alley Cox? Oh, my, the Mo Alley Cox. Oh, yes, that was quite the year. I, I 
tried to I tried to win Brad to mow Alley Cox, and I just I, I was just not successful at it. No, um, you weren't. And really, that year I really liked Mo Alley. Um, it was before what was his name, the uh, tight end from Chicago came over, and I was hitting Mo Alley Cox pretty hard. And, uh, and Trey Burton. And then when he yes, Trey Burton. And when Trey Burton came over, I was like, ah, oh, crap. So um, that kind of killed that party. But I think he's got a lot of talent. But he's for some reason, they just don't want to give him the keys to the car. And this year they've got Granson that they've been talking up. And Doyle is still around, I believe. So it, it's, it's, it's hard to envision unless they let him, you know, just be a red zone threat, that he will have a lot of uh, value. Now, it's, it's hard Arnold to is, say Arnold. It's hard to say Cox as you don't want to say Arnold. But I, I can tell you, Bobby, yeah. when I went down there to see Brad, I said, Brad, what's wrong? He goes, will you please, please, please tell him to quit drafting Mo Alley Cox. And so, you know, that was – so I thought we'd get Dan Arnold out of that. I thought that would be the answer <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it really is. It really is Dan Arnold right now by a little bit, I'd have to say. But yes, that that uh, that was almost as vexing for him as my love for Eno Benjamin last year. <laughs> um, let's okay. So I would, Brad. I'm going to throw this question to you from uh, our good buddy Kevin Williamson in the chat room uh, right now. He wants to know: Would you rather have a presumed number one wide receiver on a team? Or maybe take take your pick at maybe not the number one receiver on a high-volume passing attack that utilizes three receivers. He cites the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers. All three of those teams have three receivers going fairly, you know, relatively high, I guess. So I guess at, at what point do you start taking the number two and three receivers off those teams over, a, a, like, a number one that is, you know, you'd think he's the number one, but you don't know for sure, you know, a Brian Edwards, that could be that guy this year. I'm not just using Brian Edwards as an example, but he'd be one. How do you sort of weigh that um, when when you're at the draft board, Brad? Well, I just I, I kind of think about catches in the offense. I don't really particularly – I'd rather have Evans and Godwin over some other team's number one. So he could pick out any number one you want, and we could talk about it. But, you know, I, I'm looking for opportunities. The team's going to throw the ball, and, you know, I, I don't – particularly is want to say like, uh, you know, the, the, the number one in one team versus two or three players on another. I don't really, th- I don't really think there's three wide receiver teams. I would take the third wide receiver over. Um, but you know, I mean, I, uh, we got our rankings, we've got our, you know, so CD lamb and Amari Cooper might go before somebody else's number one easily. Many, many times often. And, um, they would go over the giants receivers you know, you could say Galladay's the number one there, but I'd rather have both the Cowboys receivers and I'd rather have both the, the Bucks receivers. So, I mean, so I, I, I take the player and the talent and the, and the scheme and the passing um, uh, opportunities to, to, over the, you know, presumed number one for any, any certain team. Yeah, you and me both, Brad. I, I'm with you on that. You know, you're looking for, for the spike explosive production. How much explosive production is there in, say, Antonio Brown or Michael Gallup? Well, I can see those guys hitting this year. But some of these other guys, you know, you mentioned Galladay. We had a Galladay conversation in the chat room tonight. I don't think there's anybody listening to the show in the chat room right now that is on board with Kenny Galladay. It seems like everybody's <laughs> off him. And uh, I, I think you could make a, a strong case that both Gallup and Brown might have better seasons uh, than, than uh, the presumed number one in New York. Farrell, I am fresh out of email, so it is on you, my friend, for the last question for FPI tonight. And fellas, we've got to quickly have four players. We've already got Mo Alley-Cox, Brad. You can't use him. Four players. I've got to have <laughs> two sleepers, one from each of you, and, and, and you know, just a player that – that you're avoiding and that player can't be Cam Akers. So, you know, I don't, I know everybody in the league's listening. It's very dangerous territory for you guys to say who you're avoiding <laughs> and who your sleeper is. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to use kicker as a sleeper, nobody's going <laughs> to complain except everybody listening. So go ahead. Let me go first. Well, I'll go first. Um, Balky just mentioned one that I don't, I'm not particularly high on this year. And that's Antonio Brown. It's, um, 
I, I'm just not. I know he's burned me in the past. I've had kind of had my fill of him. Darren thinks a little bit differently on him. And then I kind of, the guy that I kind of like, like is, in, is Philip Lindsay of Houston. I just think he might end up being the primary running back there. Not that that's a great, great place to play or be, but I, I like Lindsay's kind of a sleeper, sleeper running back. And and let me just by the way I I like Philip Lindsay this this uh, this year too and you talk about you know yeah maybe Houston's not the greatest place to to be but he is a starting running back or you know potentially starting running back that you can get as running back forty five in the eleventh round right now I don't really care about yep. uh you know the offense so much at that point like Baker boy uh, Joe Delzanero always says there's no such thing as a bad pick after the tenth round. So I, I I I'm totally with you on Lindsay for sure. That makes a lot of sense to me. Darren, who you got? Okay, um, I I had to really think about uh, who I would really definitely be avoiding, and and one guy that I really don't want any part of this year, at least at this point, is Evan Ingram. Um, I found myself in Cincinnati. He, he was falling so far. And I just kept looking at him. I was like, nah, not yet. Nah, not yet. And it just it never <laughs> got there. And uh, and this won't surprise you, Farrell, but really it's hard for me to get it down to one player. I'd have to give you two that I really liked that I ended up with uh, three each in Cincinnati. And that would be running backs, Darrington Evans, and Xavier Jones. Mm. Yeah, and, and and you think about, you know, these are one injury away guys. Uh, you know, if if Derrick Henry does miss time, and he doesn't have to have a season-ending injury, maybe he's just out for a couple of weeks. Well, Darrington Evans, yeah, he's not going to be a running back one, but he's certainly a flex play, might be a top 20 running back that week. And and you look at Xavier Jones, too. Like, does, does Daryl Henderson strike you as the running back that is going to get 350 touches and play all 17 games this season. He does not strike that as the type of player for me. And I think that Xavier Jones, we, we've heard the, the Rams coaching staff talk him up. We know that he's probably going to have a role this year. And if, again, if Henderson goes down for a game or two, boom, you have a starter at running back for sure. So that makes a lot of sense. One injury away running backs, sometimes my favorite things to talk about in fantasy football, along with two of my favorite guests of the show. It is Petra and Larson. Uh, the FPI defending Kentucky main event champs. Guys, I know you're already on your way to defending the belt this year with your performance in Cincinnati Live, with your performance online. I wish you nothing but the best. I, I know I'll be in the Midnight Madness uh, with you guys again this year. I can't wait for that. Can't wait to hang out and catch up in Kentucky, guys. Thank you so much for joining the show tonight. We really appreciate it. Well, we Thank appreciate you having us. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, <laughs> Brad Petra and, and Darren Larson, the Hammer Time Draft Guide originators, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, don't don't worry, we'll be finding more about that in uh, in Louisville uh, this coming weekend. So, Farrell, Cincinnati was a success, I presume. One of these years, I'm going to be able to get down and draft live for that for sure as well. But I, I can't wait to be flying into Louisville on, on Friday afternoon. We're going to do the show there live uh, this coming week. I'll announce who one of the guests will be on the program here shortly. But I know it is a very busy week for you. But, my friend, an exciting week uh, for you as well. And uh, I I know as excited as I am to catch up with everybody, I know you're very excited as well. It's Christmas in August, Balky, and it's our earliest sellout that we've ever had. So it gives us time to just make sure everything about the event is buttoned up and everybody's getting the – uh, the right attention and everything is prepared to, to when people get here, there's nothing to do but have a good time. And uh, by the way, if you want to have a good time before Louisville, you can draft online, kffsc.com. The double move division is going off at 930 tomorrow evening. That's Saturday night. So make sure you're jumping in that and taking a, a shot at, uh, at uh, the $15,000 grand prize uh, this year for the KFFSC. Farrell, really appreciate you uh, popping on, man. Again, I'm going to let you get some rest, and uh, we'll, we'll hook up on Friday, man. See you then, brother. Farrell Elliott, ladies and gentlemen, the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. Remember, if you want to join, you can always go to kffsc.com. You can also give Farrell a buzz, 
5057. Uh, he'll answer any questions you might have. And um, we may not see you live in Louisville this year, but we might see you virtually in some of these online main events that the KFFSC has going on. Want to wish a happy birthday to Chi-Town's own John Modaf, a longtime uh, high-stakes veteran, a guy who's been on this program before, a guy who's cashed in off the grid, who's won some main events, won a lot of money with the FFPC. Want to wish him a happy birthday today. And I want to thank our guests tonight, Casey Joyner, Brad Petri, Darren Larson, Farrell Elliott, the FFPC, Rob Rice, and of course, each and every one of you. I teased it already. We return on Friday, but it's at a special 7, 6 central time, live at Caesars Southern Indiana for the 2021 KFFSC live events. We'll have, I, I believe I'm going to have multiple guests lined up for that hour. I only have one confirmed right now, and that is former KFFSC main event champion Danny Mueller. We'll, uh, we'll be uh, broadcasting live with him next week. We might, I know we, we had a, a plethora of guests last year. I'm trying to, to hook up with, uh, with some other guests that night. I know Chase, uh, Chasing the Helmet um with uh jay reed um they are going to be podcasting live i don't know i don't think scott connor is going to be there live but i know jay uh will be live there another former guest of this show uh we'll all be on podcast row at caesar southern indiana can't wait for that ladies and gentlemen uh i want to remind you to register for the inaugural best ball tournament two today fifty thousand dollar grand prize those drafts are popping off each and every day along with the football guys players championship we got some spots left in the 12 30 a.m draft if you want to hop in that um the midnight draft is full so nice job everybody there uh i will see you in the draft from there with the ffpc tonight four hundred dollars off each main uh additional main event team that you're um buying right now uh, main event live drafts going on every single day your weekend starts this now. has been another episode of the high stakes fantasy football hour presented by myffpc.com. it was broadcast live and heard around the world balky and Farrell will be back next week with more analysis interviews and advice from guests much smarter than they are thanks for listening and we'll talk with you again next week By the way, everybody, in addition to the Football Guys Players Championship, just want to remind you that um, while all the drafts for the main event, uh, obviously tonight, are sold out, tomorrow we do have uh, six openings in the Saturday night evening draft. That's at 10 o'clock Eastern time. That will fill, so make sure you're hopping in there for your shot at $500,000. And don't forget, more action on Sunday as well. We have a 1 o'clock and a 10 o'clock that uh, still have not been filled, and those will fill again. So if you're looking to get into a main event, those would be the ones to target right now. Uh, if you can't make it this weekend, don't forget live main events going on every single day until the start of the NFL season. I will talk to you next Friday from Louisville, Kentucky, or I guess uh, Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth, Indiana, live at the KFFSC. Can't wait for it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend.